Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one, you have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And this week, I have got the most fantastic guest for you, and I'm sure you're going to really enjoy the conversation. She's an international speaker, author and trainer who specializes in motivation and collaboration. What led her on this path, though, was an unlikely event. She got caught up in the Boxing Day tsunami, and it was in the aftermath of this catastrophic disaster that she learned the most amazing lessons about humanity. And it's these lessons that have been distilled and transferred into tangible strategies for us to use in our business. She's created a suite of analyses to help people to understand themselves and each other on a deeper level to achieve peak performance and unleash our potential. The most innovative is the People Reader, which is an online analysis that you can use or to perform on somebody that you want to build rapport with without any input from them. The result is an eight-page report that shows you how to engage with that person, how to write to them, and how to convert them into a client in the most effective way. She's won multiple awards as a business owner and for networking, presenting, and recently, stand-up comedy. Please welcome Michelle Mills-Porter. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, I'm fabulous. Thanks, James. How are you? I'm I'm wonderful, thank you. And it's lovely to have you on. Um, it's nice having someone on the show that I also call a friend as well as a guest. So it's a it's a lovely way to to spend the time. I suppose I better put you on my Christmas card list then, haven't I? <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then well, that'll be nice, I guess. Um. But how how are things with you? Are you are you keeping busy? Yeah, it's been an incredibly busy year, but it's been busy in a different way. I've been developing lots of these analyses, and so my head's been down, and I'm kind of chair-shaped at the moment. I have to go to the gym three times a week just to stop being chair-shaped. Well, that's a terrible thing. You're back all you, but uh, it's good to be busy. That's for sure. I I'm fascinated by the people reader, Michelle. How does it work? How can I analyze someone I've never met? Well, it's a bit, yes, it's a little bit cheeky, isn't it? Um, It is literally, you have to, um, okay, let's put you in this scenario. Let's imagine that you and I um, had met each other a couple of times. We really got on well. And you said to me, oh, Michelle, what you do sounds brilliant. Why don't you send me a proposal? Right. That's the point in time that I would go and use a people reader analysis. So I literally have to answer just 18 questions about you. But it will ask me things about um, whether you're like, how are you going to greet me? Are you going to give me a kiss on the cheek? Are you going to shake my hand? How do you end the meeting? So it's a little bit about body language and your appearance. Mm -hmm. And then it asks questions about your written language. So how do you sign your emails off? That's a really good way for people to, to be able to understand 
um, your behavior and therefore how to build rapport with you. Um, and then it will also ask questions about your general um, kind of communication. But there's just 18 of these questions. Right. The result is that I get um, an immediate eight page report that maps out exactly how to build rapport with you. So that covers, you know, the face to face stuff. It covers the written language, how to write your proposal, how tightly to follow up the sales process or, you know, all of those things about building deep rapport. That sounds a bit spooky, is it? Or is that, am I just reading into that a bit? It's ever so easy. This is the thing about human communication. We are animals and this stuff is second nature to us. Um, so nobody's going to think this is rocket science, you know. Right. We will actually look at the details. Um, it's just simple animal instincts. The problem is, James, that we are making our, um, our skills more dormant by not using them. And I firmly blame technology right. for, for all of that. How, how does how does technology affect that? Well, I think that um, what we tend to do in this day and age, you look at the way that we automate all of our processes. Mm -hmm. Everyone's into automation. They want to stick you in their lazy river and keep bombarding you with marketing materials and all that kind of stuff. And they're just stripping away the human element of communication, right. which is the most important part. So it's the data stuff that um, that people are using and thinking so clever, but actually it's diluting our natural abilities, I guess you say. We're literally blunting our communication tools. And I find it really frustrating. The most frustrating thing I find when people have got their heads buried in their phone um, and all that kind of stuff that you see on a, on a regular basis yeah. is people are not looking um, in the whites of each other's eyes. They're not understanding body language, facial expressions, microfacial expressions, they're not reading the signs. And so therefore, they're becoming weak communicators. And if we carry on going down this route, then we're going to have some pretty serious consequences to suffer in terms of communication. Do you know, it fascinates me and it also worries me. Um, I look at my children who are, you know, eight and oh, – I could do them a disservice at 10 and 12, um, you know, and their entire life is online. Well, it's not. It, a lot of it is online. Um, and, uh, and I do worry, I must say, that I look at them and think, you know, would not be quicker and easier just for you to pick up the phone and speak to that person? But actually, oh. my, my son's cottoned on to that, and he's um, – I've seen him recently when he's trying to organise, you know, someone to go down to the skate park with or whatever it might be. He's actually phoning, which I think is brilliant because it's such a nice, normal way to do things rather than tapping away on a screen. Yeah, and my first book was called Phone Genius, The Art of Non-Visual Communication. Right. Um, so you'll hear me harping on about this stuff all the time. But I just think it's – you know, it's we need to be really careful that we're not losing – um, the tools that we were born with, the gifts that we were born with, um, because they're our most valuable asset and, in fact, the, the things that will future-proof us. Can we just step back in time a little bit? Because you were caught up in the, in the Boxing Day tsunami, which must have been absolutely horrific. Um, how did that awful experience turn into the, the kind of stuff you're doing in business now? Do you know, it took... A long time, James, there's the truth of it. It wasn't an automatic thing. It took me 10 years 
um, right. to kind of distill what it is that I'd learned in those lessons right. and turn it into something that is as powerful and valuable as it is today. So, you know, with hindsight, you know, you look back and you think, oh, well, that's that's what happened. There's mm -hmm. the timeline. This is what I do now. Yep. But actually, it's years of learning and understanding. I'll give you an example. So during the tsunami, it was horrific, you're right, but it was also the most enlightening time of my life because I saw stuff. I saw straight to the heart of people. Right. I saw straight through people, right to their core. And what I found most fascinating was that we are all magnificent. We all have this inherent goodness which is just incredible. Um, and you only see it in a life or death situation where people will put their life on the line for somebody else, for a total stranger. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. When I came back, I realized that I was out of line with my values as a human being. Right. My company had been so successful, winning all these awards and everything. And the, the time that I stepped inside my boardroom when I made it back from the tsunami, I just felt physically sick because I didn't see anything there that that felt real. It was I just thought this is narcissistic. It's it's showy offy. It's you know what's the the point? What's the what's the point of all of this? Mm -hmm. And what had happened is during the tsunami I'd been shaken up and immediately reconnected with my core values as a human being. Okay, which is all about consideration for other people, um, ethics and morals, um, self-development, all of those things. And it took me years to be able to understand that. At the time, I just thought, great, I thought I knew about people. In fact, I don't. What do I know about people? So I literally threw myself into learning everything I could about behaviour and eventually got onto the subject of values. Right. And do you look back at the previous Michelle and think I don't really like you, or you were you were was it not as as kind of not as great a contrast as that? It's no, I think I, that's a really difficult question to answer, isn't it? There are elements of me that I couldn't stand. You know, mm -hmm. um, I look back and I mean, I, I I look back and I just think, why were you like that? Why was it so important for you? Yeah. to get this recognition but actually this part of me that understands that young woman um and forgives her because she didn't know any better right um i think as long as we're on the right track as long as we are doing what we feel we've put, been put on this planet to do then we can forgive the mistakes we've made up I, I obviously i appreciate it. it was a slightly unfair question because you know people change over time and the way we remember things through the eyes of that moment are different to the way we might view them in the future you know we look back at ourselves and think why did i or how did i but actually we were doing probably the best we could at the time do we, we don't need to go through tsunamis, though, do we? We don't have to go through those kind of massive life-changing processes to, to get some clarity on our values. No, but it's a really great example, a polar example mm -hmm. of how behaviour works and how, um, how connected we are to our values. Um, and a really good example to use when I'm in organisations, helping them with their people, um, because what we do is we water down. Um, you know, all of the lessons that I learned and apply them um, to, you know, to, to the organisation. Um, and there are remarkable similarities, you know, uh, you just need to kind of blow it up out of proportion 
to get the tsunami um, effect. So with the businesses you work with, what kind of changes are you looking to help them to achieve? Well, if I think of a couple of examples, there was one um, company that brought me in because they had a dysfunctional team. It was a very important team um, to them, to their business, and the director um, just wasn't engaging with the the team right. and vice versa. Okay. Um, so I went in there and we started off with, a, you know, a, a, a couple of workshop days and then we did some uh, one-to-one stuff. Um, and what happened was they, the um, CEO told me that there was a 180 degree turnaround in that team. It is still three years later on, it is still the best performing team in that organization. Wow. Um, and yeah, I know it's astonishing and it's so easy for me because I see it. Right, right. Yeah. You know, from with a bird's eye view, it's so easy for me to go in and say this this is you know what to do. There's um there's a, another situation where a premiership football club, um, basically I work with their commercial team uh-huh. and I help them just to understand um, other people, to understand their prospective clients. They told me that they hit target for the first time in club history across the board following my training ever wow that's ever that's a hell of a result it is and you know i just i think it's remarkable because what i'm doing is i'm helping people to unleash their own magnificence i'm giving them the tools but do you know i'm going to tell you a secret the thing is that organizations think that i'm going in to help them and of course i am Mm -hmm. but i get the biggest kick when i'm doing some one-on-one work with a member of that team and they have one of those um one of those incredible moments when they go oh my gosh i get it i get me (laughs) yeah i understand it and now i know why i'm having a conflict with that person now i know why i love that person so much now i know why i can't do that particular role um why it drives me insane i love those little realization moments um because you just see this you suddenly take the, the blockage out of the situation and watch them get completely in flow. Um, and that gives me the biggest kick out of everything I do. I can imagine. I mean, I know that, um, you know, our worlds are different in that, we, although we both work with businesses, um, and that, you know, often it's it's easy to see the issues from outside. You know, you can go in and you can pick these things very quickly, but the people in the business need to to want to do something with them, don't them? And I guess, I guess, don't they? And I guess that's the that's the the skill is to help them to see, rather than just to pointing out. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest results that I get are when people just completely ad- adopt this stuff and live and breathe it and just assimilate it, um, and they become, you know, a, as big a fan of all of this understanding about. The, the subconscious builds a report as I am, and I just love that when it becomes a passion. And how can they then use that within the, to to improve the service of their business? Obviously, I'm I'm very keen on on service and service excellence. How does that understanding impact that part of the business? Well, I think in my experience, because you know I complain a lot. Right. Okay. <laughs> I complain a lot because. When my business, when my first business is very young, yeah, I won a plethora of awards, and one of them was for customer service company of the year. Right, um, and there was a little bit of. I only found out after I'd received the award that we nearly um, were disqualified from the category because one of the judges thought that we weren't a service industry 
company right and therefore you know we shouldn't be applying for that award it was argued that actually our service levels were far above and beyond any of the other organizations and it didn't matter uh, whether we fitted into their category so to speak and we went on to win the award i don't know whether it's because of that that i have higher expectations um but if something goes wrong i think that if i was the person in charge of that company i would want to know mm. because how can you put it better if you don't know? My experience, however, is that from the majority of, of complaints that I make, it's handled by people that really don't care. There, there's no, um, they're going through the motions and it seems that they have these systems set up that are there to placate you or to field you away. Right or to buy you off by throwing some money at it mm -hmm. when they're really not understanding what that person wants. So here's the issue, I think. In customer care, people do not understand what the person complaining wants or needs, and they're not making any attempt to find out what that person wants or needs. And that's the biggest crime. If you understand what that person wants and needs, you'll probably find that it's much, much easier to be able to um, to, to make an, uh, you know, an effective change, to actually make that person turn into a fan rather than going off, leaving something that is um, unsolved, mm -hmm. uh, which is then going to force the opinion of the brand to spread in a negative way. That's no good for any organisation. Those those complaints. I mean, I, I I look at complaints. I don't know if you'd agree with me that you know complaints are an opportunity to make a a, a really great friend. Um, and if we treat those people in the way that we would like to be treated ourselves, that's a really good starting point. Because most people who complain don't want anything; they want to be heard. Um, and uh, you know those brush off kind of processes put on hold, made to wait, so you calm down, all that sort of old fashioned stuff. Um, it just drives the majority of us mad. I know you had a problem with an airline recently, didn't you? Where that where you were where you needed to to have your your voice heard. I did, and I think it's. Um, I won't go into details about the actual complaint, um, but you're the expert on this, James. You know exactly what you're talking about, um, and I completely agree. Um, the problem that I had with this airline is that when I when I made a complaint, it wasn't actually a complaint. It was, you know, a suggestion right. to not treat your passengers like this again, please. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted a reply. But they just put me into that. It, again, it's an automated system. They put me into this automated system where I get a standard email back. Um, and you you can literally, out of, when I said this is not good enough, I, I want a proper answer, you can see where they've copied and pasted the, you know, the, the same kind of content. And it's so annoying. That's the thing that upsets us. When we know that we've been treated by like a number, when we know that we're being automated, when we know that we're being put into a system and not listened to. So you're absolutely right. We need to be listened to. We need to know that somebody's heard, somebody's digested it and taken it on board. That's what I want. This airline just thought they could just throw 100 euros at me right at the first step in the hope that I'd go away. And I thought, this is not the point. Mm -hmm. I didn't do this because I want compensation. I did this because you are hurting your brand. It's, um, it upsets me when I hear these things because I, I can't believe that a business, 
obviously we're not naming the airline, but airlines are not small concerns. And um, you, I can't believe that, that they don't want to improve because if there's if it's a one-off problem, then they can fix it. But if it's a systematic problem, if it's something that occurs on more than one occasion, then it's something that needs delving into a bit more deeply. And it's never – there's always a root cause to these things. There's always a reason why something's not working the right way. And it may well be that that person wasn't trained in the right way or that or something else has gone on. But – uh, you know, a decent business, a good business, in, in, in my my kind of definition of a good business, would would want to understand that. And um, what concerns me is throwing a hundred euros at somebody um, must work, or at least must take those problems away. Um, and all it's doing is extrapolating, you know, or exaggerating the problem for next time. Um, no, no. I think. Sorry, I was going to say, I think there's an, an, an example there of the culture that we've created for ourselves. And I think there is an element um, of, of complaints that actually are there just for compensation. Mm. Um, but, you know, in this case, I just felt the whole thing was so sterile um, that it, it really upset me. The, 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 the fact that they told me we will go back and we will feed this back to the crew we will tell them where they went wrong we will tell them what they um what they did wrong so it doesn't happen to somebody else and i knew that that was a lie do you know how i know that was a lie how because not once did they ask me what flight i was on right how could they possibly go back to the people that did this to me if they have no idea about which flight i was on or you know who i was who i was talking about so it's it's very easily um it's very transparent when people are, are lying and trying to um to just field you away um and it just makes the situation worse and worse doesn't it it, it does because there was uh, in this situation there was the opportunity for them to make a raving fan um and i think any opportunity we get to make raving fans in our business particularly in a world where well if you look at um you know tourism almost Everybody complains or or rejoices on TripAdvisor about things like this. Well, a rejoicing comment is a far nicer thing to field than a than, than a complaining one. Um, and and I think in all our businesses, we need to look at where the opportunities are to make things better, where the opportunities are to improve things, but also where the opportunities are to to just make. Um, people happy to delight people who come near us so that they go away and say do you know what there was a problem on that flight this was what happened but actually the way they handled that was magnificent and I couldn't thank them enough you're absolutely right and I started off the whole process by saying I was a fan I gave them the opportunity to correct that relationship yeah. because I was a fan. I never had anything bad to say about them. I used to say how wonderful this particular airline was. Um, and, and now, you know, I'm left in a situation where I'm contemplating how I take it further. Um, how is that used to anyone? You know, they've completely destroyed the relationship. It's it's not at all. I was on a flight recently to um to Lithuania on, on Wizz Air, which is um, – you know, extremely cheap airline. Um, and there are a couple of people on that flight complaining about something. And the woman next to me said, well, you know, what do they expect for what they paid? And I think, well, in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, it's really cheap. I mean, less than 20 quid to fly halfway across Europe is an enormous, you know, enormous, <laughs> stupid, stupidly cheap. However, it doesn't matter what the price paid was. The service that you expect is the service you expect. And, you know, that they, they, you can't get away with saying, well, you didn't pay much, so you don't deserve very much. 
I think that um, you know, and, and the bigger airlines, you know, c- can learn from um, from the, the mistakes of others. You mentioned culture before. Yeah. You, you touched on that very briefly. Um, how do we go about instilling that kind of the correct value levels in in our business cultures? How can we change those, or how can we make sure we're getting the right people in the first place? Well, I think everyone's the right person. And that's something from my behaviour background. I think it's a, it's a dangerous scenario when an organisation comes to me and says, Michelle, we want to hire these people with these profiles. Right. That's um, a very, very dangerous route. Everyone has valuable things to bring to the party. We just need to be able to expose their prominent qualities. Um, so you can't... Um, you know, it's it's not about hiring people with the with the right behaviour. Um, it's I think the most important thing is making sure that you're engaging with them because if you think about it, let's think of a scenario about going into a retail environment, mm-hmm. going into your local shop. Yeah. Now I remember going into my local shop young uh, as a younger person and being really in awe of the customer care that you got you know how the salespeople would handle you how they saw you um how they saw the whole opportunity about making you making a purchase that you're going to be proud of and all the rest of it nowadays you walk into a shop and people are just standing there twiddling their thumbs they're completely disengaged they're not interested in you it's you know everything is too much bother it doesn't matter whether you want to try something on or whether you want to look at a demonstration it's all huffing and puffing and i understand why people are driven to buy things online anymore because it's not a pleasurable experience to walk into a shop and buy something anymore but i think it starts with making sure that the organization is engaging with their people making them feel that they are respected and wanted mm-hmm. and not disenfranchised can i pick back to a point you just made there that everybody's the right person are they really? Because it, it it always strikes me that if I go into a, st- a shop and and the, the the staff there are totally disengaged, my first thought is how are they being treated by the management? How are they being trained? How are they being hired? And are these people being hired into the right roles? Um, you know, we all need to work, and you know, it'd be a lovely world where everyone had everything they needed without having to to earn it. But but that's not the case. So for for some people, yes, they just have to go to work. But if you're in a role which doesn't work for you then the business has an obligation, I think, to look at that and say, well, where would this person be best off in our business? If we've hired them, if we've taken them on, if we've given them, you know, the opportunity to work in our in our world, why are we putting them in places where they're not happy or how are we helping them to enjoy where they are? No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, I don't want it to come across as me saying everyone is the right person for your uh, for that particular role, because that's not necessarily what I mean. What I mean is that we shouldn't discriminate um, against certain behaviours and that kind of thing. But you are absolutely spot on. I have a particular tool in one of my analyses um, that shows how aligned someone's values are to the role that they are doing. Right. And it can highlight the things, the particular prominent qualities that are required for that position and whether they share those prominent qualities or not. And when people come to me and say, well, Michelle, this person isn't fitting into the role, my answer is not, well, get rid of them and find someone who will. Yeah. My, my answer is let's find a way to make them fit into a role that is in line with their values um, and and therefore will you know, produce um, 
a much better uh, performance rates because if someone is in line with their values then their behaviors will be in line as well and their performance will go through the roof it's when somebody's working with something that's against their values and against their natural prominent qualities that's when we start to find blockages that's where we start to find um, you know a lack of energy um, and that's where we start to see performance dipping and nosediving well and that that means that the business needs to truly understand their core value to start with doesn't it Yes, it doesn't have to be that the business core values um, are uh, that the people are aligned to the business core values. The business values are usually something that you see on a wall somewhere, displayed for everyone to see, mm-hmm. and it's it's just an ideal, really. What we're talking about is the values of your people, um, and making sure that they're doing a job that allows them to be in line with those values, um, and and that's understanding what they really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really complicated, but actually it's not. If you use an analysis or some kind of tool that will help you to understand what makes that person motivated, then it's very easy to find the role that is best going to fit them. Back to that, the the, the values on a wall thing, because I see that all the time and I, I talk about it a lot. In fact, I was speaking to someone this morning about that. Um if those values don't actually fit with the, the 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 true style of the business, then it's just lip service, isn't it? Well, it is, and that's the problem. Most people just put it up there because it looks good, and they think they've done a, a good job, and they've ticked the list. But there again, those are people that are not engaged. So you can have a lack of engagement at director level, at managerial level, you know, on the shop floor, on all levels. There can be a disengagement. Um, if you are, and I'm, I'm a fan of authenticity, and I think in, in the culture that we live in, authenticity is key. Um, why on earth would we be so interested in things like, you know, reality TV and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, it's, it's our culture. It's the way that we're heading. So authenticity is absolutely key. And what we need to do is really sit down and, you know, belly button gaze about what it is that we're doing this for and what are our real values as an organisation and just stand by them. When when we started this conversation, you mentioned um, old-fashioned businesses. You mentioned old-fashioned businesses, and I remember very clearly going into the into the grocers with my my grandmother in Melbourne, and uh, you know her buying tomatoes and and whatever whatever it was that she was she needed that day. Um, and the grocer knew her; he knew what she liked. He knew that she liked her apricots a little bit more green than orange, you know that kind of stuff. Um, and there was a level of personalization that came with it. But also, you mentioned care, and they they really did truly care about their client base. If we could get back to something like that, then I think we build amazing business. We just have to get the the understanding right. Yeah, and I think it's a really difficult thing. If you are scaling your business up, it's very difficult to go back to that one-on-one care. So that's when things like behaviour, understanding behaviour can really help. I know as a speaker, if I take my speak, if I put my speaker hat on, I know that when I'm going to speak to an organisation full of lawyers, then I have to deliver in a different way to the way I would if I was going to speak to a room full of charity workers. There are differences in behaviour 
Um, mm -hmm. And if we can talk in their language, then we can build rapport on a subconscious level. So it doesn't have to necessarily be one-on-one -on -one understanding. It can be a general understanding in terms of what those kind of people want. How do they want to be communicated with? What are their likes and dislikes? And those are very easy patterns to see in human behavior. Very, very easy patterns to see. As long as you have the right guide, I guess. Yeah, um, it's just, but again, it's just being reconnected with the values we were given. Let's face it, James, if we were dogs, you know, we could go up to each other, have a little sniff, and we could work out immediately whether we're going to get on with each other or not. <laughs> yeah, and That is a gift that, you know, we have. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and as part of the animal kingdom, we forget all of those things that are natural, that are natural abilities in terms of, of getting on with each other, you know, and we need to reconnect with some of those things. Michelle, you've given us so much to think about. Thank, thank you so, so much. How do people get in touch with you if they'd like to? Oh, link, link in. LinkedIn is by far the easiest way, isn't it? Just link in with me. The only thing I would suggest is if people link in with me, please put a personalised message because I get so many um, people trying to link with me without a personal message. I never know whether we've met, whether we've got something in common. So it really helps to put a personal message in. And, you know, if you just say, oh, I heard your interview, would like to connect, I'd be thrilled to accept. Lovely. And Michelle, just before we go, because I'm, I'm conscious of your time as well, and thank you so much for all the time and thoughts you've given us. What's the one thing, what's the golden nugget you'd like to leave with people to think about that can help them make their businesses better today? Oh, it's easy. It's just be more human. You know, stop trying to automate everything. Stop trying to feel things away and put people into boxes. Just be more human. Listen more. Respond personally. And just be more human. That's it. Michelle, that's fantastic. Thank you so, so much. It's my absolute pleasure. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show, and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.